I'm recording now. So what potentially harmful thing does Sean have to ask me? Oh, I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> Jeremy and I were just excited to hang out with you, you know? Yeah, just the three of us. I'm just the three of us building castles in the sky and stuff. Just the three of us. You, you, and I. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, Naturally Essenced. I am your co-host, Jeremy Ruggles, collector of handwritten notes about records commonly overlooked and underappreciated. <laughs> And I am Peter Cook, director of the latest installment in the Airbud film series. This one is about bowling, so we're calling it Dog Bowl. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Oh, <laughs> uh, which number is it? How deep are they in that series? <laughs> Got to be getting close to the double digits. Yeah, it's a it's a dozen at least. Is it like Home Alone where there's the real ones and then there's like a handful of fraud ones? I believe that there are offshoots for sure. But, you know, with my, with my film, we're going back to the basics. Classic Air Bud. Good, good. <laughs> a lot of no, nothing but fan service with this entry. <laughs> <laughs> I just typed it in and it says there are 14 <laughs> Air Holy movies. shit. No way. That could be a whole podcast unto itself. Yeah, and if we run out, then we'll just dip into the Land Before Time series, and we'll never run out of source material between those two. Yeah, they. the last I checked, those were up to about that many as well. And I did check at some point. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to check. What, what's the most recent Land Before Time movie that's come out? <laughs> hey, I saw the original back in the theater in 1988, so... It's near and dear to me. I'm texting you guys my letter of resignation right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even send us an email. Damn, that's cold. All right, well, we'll get off this we'll get off this track and what do you want to talk about, Jeremy? I want to talk about the record. It's my week. If you haven't figured this out, we take turns every week, and it's my week, and I have brought John Hambrick, and it is an album called Windmill in a Jet-Filled Sky. Oh, wow, that paints quite the picture in my head. It is such a good album title. All right, what's the first track? Let's just jump right in. Well, I just want to also tell the listeners, when you go to Google John Hambrick, the first thing that's going to come up is a Nevada Republican congressman, and that is not the same guy. That's the wrong one. You have to put in musician. And the funny thing is, then you go to the article and you can hardly find anything about him being a musician because he did a lot of other stuff, and right? Yes, and <laughs> only this album. Yeah, as far as music, this is it. We're getting ahead of ourselves, boys. Yep, we'll get into the, we'll do the music first. We'll do the first track first, just 
right at the beginning, hard-faced road. Here's some John Hambrick. Chicago LA New York Dallas, Memphis, Mobile free and easy Takes me where I'm going Sometimes Where I've been Well, it don't take long before I'm gone and back up on that hard-faced road again. Well, I laid it out in Memphis, feeling pretty big, had a gig, drinking gin, till things got thin. Nearly married, couldn't tarry, now I'm back up on that hard-faced road again. Well, easy people say country roads take you home Others say highways make you swear I don't care I go everywhere Well, it won't be long before I'm gone And back up on that hard-faced road again Assembly line in Cleveland Milled in Buffalo Had to go I was through Oh, and a snow flew Don't like cold wind It ain't my kin Now I'm back upon That hard-faced road again Saw my parents late last year My brothers in the spring Funny thing, they are men Life's changed then I don't know why I said If you boys had to guess what state John Hambrick is from, where would you guess? Texas. Yeah. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. It's Texas? All right. It's Texas. It feels obvious. I don't know. Felt obvious to me. He's from Texas. Also, I I just started watching King of the Hill all the way through without ever having really watched it as a child. So that was the first date I thought of when I listened to this record because of that. That checks out. Yeah. It kind of captures that vibe. That's what I thought. Let's start with, had you boys heard of this before I brought it? No. I had not heard of this until you suggested it. I think you've been talking about doing it for a while, but I didn't check it out until last week. Uh, I liked it right away, though. Yeah, this record, none of us had heard of because it's, as mentioned previously, this dude's only record. And I actually found it at Pinwheel Records. Shout out to Pinwheel in Chicago. Ah, where we recorded the Huey Lewis in the News episode. Yeah, and we were kind of cruising through the bins this was this was a year ago that's crazy to think about now (laughs) exactly well almost exactly that was a leap year and we're recording this on uh, february 28th so yeah wow that was a year ago yeah right before all the pandemic stuff 
we like had all these plans for traveling around recording episodes and here we are a year later but yeah i found this in the bins at pinwheel records and was immediately intrigued by the name as you mentioned windmill in a jet-filled sky along with the cover that just has you know a cowboy looking dude with a broke down windmill and an old barn did they have a sticker over brick so that it just read john ham and you and you might think that John Hamm from Mad Men put out a record? No. No. <laughs> That's what I would not. do <laughs> if I was trying to sell this album. No, I would I mean you can you can definitely sell this album if people know what's on it. It's a great country album. I can't believe this wasn't his career. Well, there's I believe there's reasons for that that we'll get to that are not related to the music because the music's good, I think. I think the songs are good. The players, as we'll get into later, are insanely good. Yeah, some real pros. Yeah, but let's start at the beginning, where John Hambrick was born in Conroe, Texas, which is a little oil town kind of near the Gulf. So he tried to be an actor early on in his life after uh, you know growing up, getting out of high school. Tries his hand at acting, and that doesn't really hash out. And then he's selling typewriters at one point. And he actually tried to sell a typewriter to Jack Ruby a couple weeks before Jack Ruby killed Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> Wait, did he sell the typewriter to him or not? If Was he unsuccessful? What could history... I believe he was unsuccessful. Oh, if he just sold Ruby that typewriter, I mean then someone else would have killed Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're not going to get into JFK conspiracies. That's for my other That's podcast, guys. <laughs> yeah. That was a strange bump, though, in his history that I found. But John Hambrick, primarily his career and most of his life was around his job of being a broadcast journalist and news anchor. And he started down that path in 1963 in Texas. He was like out selling typewriters and some dude was like, hey, you're like handsome and have a good voice and stuff. You should go be a TV dude. And then he uh, did it for like 30 plus years. Whoa. (laughs) But he started in Texas and then went to Cleveland Went out to L.A., which he said was the biggest mistake of his life. Went on to San Francisco, New York City. Then he was in Miami for a while until 1993. Somewhere in there, he won an Emmy for his newscasting. So if you notice in the song we just listened to, he starts listing off a bunch of places. And I think he comes by that honest. He was a legit rambling man. Yeah, that comes through in the music it doesn't feel like he's putting on some facade yeah his wife barbara watson whom he was married to for 51 years said that they should have just bought a moving van and left it in the driveway because they were constantly moving all over the country so that takes us back to why he has an album which he recorded in 1972 is when this was recorded. And it was released on Brown Bag Records. And 
I'm guessing you guys probably haven't heard of Brown Bag Records as well. <laughs> uh, actually, I have one record on Brown Bag Records. I always thought that was a cool label because the brown paper, paper bag inner sleeves with the serrated edges. I'd never seen that before. Yeah, that is like their thing. Yeah. Do you know anything about uh, the record label? Because I didn't. No, I didn't do any research on the label uh, up until just earlier today. It looks like it was owned by Terry Knight, who mixed and produced this album. Yeah, do you know anything about Terry Knight? Yeah, he was like kind of an underground garage rock guy with Terry Knight the pack, and then later... That's Michigan! Yeah, yep, he's a Michigan dude. And then that kind of transformed into Grand Funk Railroad, right? Yeah. Yeah, he managed Grand Funk Railroad and turned them into a platinum-selling huge band. Reading about him, he seemed like a kind of a provocateur type. He was a very bombastic-seeming kind of fellow, which makes this kind of an unlikely record because I don't, I don't really understand. Mostly understated. Yeah, and the like first record he put out on Brown Bag... He made this really controversial album cover that got it like banned in stores and stuff because he was trying to get press. And he had a history of just doing like kind of shock things to try and get press. But he did this album for some reason. So I think that is part of why this was ill fated for John Hambrick is he did this album. I don't, I couldn't find anything explaining how this actually came to be but it doesn't feel like the right pairing for this kind of music are you sure terry knight just just say hey you're handsome and have a good voice you should record an album for me (laughs) how things always worked out for john hambrick yeah he's just (laughs) that handsome tall guy who just everything falls into his lap so the other album i have on brown bag is the self-titled record by the band faith which is more of a hard rock kind of thing, but it has a lot of like deep Southern and country roots to it. So that being the only other thing I'm familiar with on this label, the John Hambrick doesn't sound quite as out of place, especially with the one weird song on here, Ever Ain't Never Seen a White Man. That song feels like it fits right in with all the other stuff we're talking about as far as the more psychedelic rock stylings. Oh yeah, I did find out who wrote that song. That's he didn't. That was not a John Hambrick original. All the other songs are apparently, but that was written by a guy named Dick Monda, also known as Daddy Dewdrop, best known for the, the nineteen seventy one hit "Chicka Boom." Don't you just love it? Yeah, when you go to listen to this record, that song will stand out because it it didn't age as well. I think it was well intentioned, but. The message is kind of cringy these days. Yeah. I mean, pretty progressive for a country music record in 1972. But, I mean, Texas is where all the outlaw country stuff was happening around this time. And that's all of that was generally more progressive than the typical country music before this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is right in that time frame of like uh, people like David Allen Coe, who, you know... It, gets pegged as being because of the internet his some of his more controversial material has gotten out there and people think you know he's some racist but he was actually playing prisons had a black drummer in his band had dreadlocks was you know yeah the the outlaw country scene was actually one of the more progressive country scenes oh for sure yeah and i 
I got the impression reading about John Hambrick's career as a broadcaster that he's definitely more progressive minded. There's one story that really stuck out to me uh, that I stumbled upon on like somebody's recounting of his like life in a Facebook memorial post or something. I went deep on this one, but uh, <laughs> there's one story from the, there was an occupation of Wounded Knee, South Dakota, which was the site of the Wounded Knee Massacre, where they murdered a bunch of Native American men, women, and children. So in 1973, they occupied that city, the Native American protesters, and mm-hmm. John Hambrick and his cameraman went there because they wanted to interview the protesters. And the FBI and the U.S. Marshals had all the roads blocked off and weren't letting anyone in. So they parked the rental car. They hid it, like, I'm guessing back to the future style, kind of behind some bushes. And then they, him and his cameraman, hiked six miles with 100 pounds worth of camera gear towards the city. And eventually they were picked up by a dude in a pickup truck and they rode in the bed of it with some lambs and were able to get to the city to interview protesters. So I found that uh, pretty inspiring and kind of shows that, you know, he's not like a clean-cut newsman as you might get the impression if you watch some of his news broadcasts. Just a handsome, free-thinking man. (laughs) True. Let's uh let's get to another cut, eh? I'm into it. What do we want to play next? Let's do the one you wanted to hear, Peter. Silence of the heart. Or silence of my heart. Yeah, I'm into it. Side A, track three. Think about if you will, this old boy, maybe 35, 37 years old. Drives a blue Chevrolet pickup truck, maybe. Just kind of goes from town to town working. He don't stay too long in one place But sometimes he wishes he could The time has come for me to go, babe We both knew I would someday Got my gear packed and the call on This time next week I'll be on Perlow Bay I'll let you know in Anchorage on my days off I don't write such good letters But if you want from time to time I'll call The circumstances of our lives be Are bound to keep us apart But your love is locked Securely, forever in the silence of my heart. Should you get married, I'll understand me. But if you're free in a year or two, some sweet Sunday. Summer, I'll be back by 
to lend some love to you Maybe we can take a short trip Someplace sunny where it don't get cold I'm sort of thinking about the bar I and feel the good there so I'm told The circumstances of our lives be that's one of my favorites on this album because it bears a strong resemblance to the sound of Waylon Jennings' Honky Tonk Heroes, which I realized was actually the f- year following this, 1973, although most of the songs on that were written by Billy Joe Shaver, so I don't know exactly when they were written. But uh, yeah, it sounded like a lost track from Honky Tonk Heroes. Well, didn't uh, didn't Waylon move to Texas around this time when he was like getting more into the outlaw sounding stuff anyways. Oh yeah, that's true. That I think, I think you're right that he, uh, would have, uh, migrated that way around that time. Well, just to clarify, uh, John Hambrick at the time of this album was actually in Cleveland and then Uh, he recorded mm. this album in Nashville. Oh yeah. Well, and honky tonk heroes was recorded in Nashville as well. Yeah. Makes sense, though. That's where all the players are. And lordy, are there players on this thing? Mm-hmm. Real quick, though, while we were listening to that, I was thinking about how that kind of country spoken word intro is an interesting trend that you don't hear very much anymore in music. And then I started thinking about how the only other time where I commonly hear those kind of spoken word intros and sections is in a lot of the Southern soul music that was happening right around the same time. Thinking of, you know, guys like Bobby Womack and Isaac Hayes that were doing that. And I got to imagine they were primarily influenced by the country music trend of doing that in some ways that, and obviously, you know, the, the gospel music spoken word crossover stuff that was happening, but it just kind of goes back to show how a lot of, this kind of roots-based music, both in soul and country, has very, very similar influences and elements to their songwriting. You know who else does that? That John Hambrick's voice reminds me of this guy. He's one of my favorite modern songwriter guys, but Bill Callahan. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, (laughs) deep voice guy. It's got to be Bill Callahan. Yeah, deep voice. He does the spoken word things has these like subtly deep lines that seem simple at first glance, but, you know, got that meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. So I highly doubt... Just a modern outlaw country musician. Yeah. Bill, Bill Callahan. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, even his, uh, the name Smog seems like it could fit into that. We might be onto something here. <laughs> but but do, you think, do you think Bill Callahan had, took inspiration from this scene probably from this scene i would highly doubt from this album even though there's a lot of parallels that feel uniquely hambrick like in his voice but i'm sure there's probably some root thing that they're both drawing from that i'm too ignorant to know of uh johnny cash well, you, I don't. I don't think Jeremy's too ignorant to know of Johnny Cash. <laughs> if you like deep voice country musicians, then boy, do I have one to tell you about. There's some like vocal affect things that are very specific that kind of 
stick out in my brain. But that's way too much talk about Bill Callahan for this. Yeah. Let's talk about the other musicians on this thing. Yeah, there's some names. Charlie McCoy. Let's start there. Yeah, that's a big one. And a guy that you can find plenty of material from in the dollar bins. Yeah, either under his name or albums that he was on. Mm -hmm. Although some of the stuff he appears on as a session player is pretty high-end price as well. He's on a lot of the late 60s Dylan stuff. True. And Elvis, he was on... Loretta Lynn, Waylon Jennings, he's on, it's, the list is insane, but he is part of the Nashville A-team, he's one of the best harmonica players probably ever, and here he is on uh, John Hambrick's album. Yeah, yeah, is he uh, pretty involved, is he on most of the tracks? I believe so, I didn't find a breakdown of who was on what. Yeah, the... The Discogs entry just had names. It didn't get too specific. Yeah, there's harmonic on pretty much every song, though, I believe, so. Yeah, it's it's definitely him. <laughs> I've always gotten the impression with country music albums that there, it was less common to have different musicians across the whole thing. It generally seems to be the band gets together and then just rips out an album. I could be wrong, but that's that's the impression I've gotten. I mean, I think it's I think it's similar to like with how jazz musicians can just get in the studio and shred. Yeah, or I mean, compared to the the West Coast Wrecking Crew guys as well, you know, it was the same level of professionalism and versatility. Yeah. Then Dennis Lindy is also on this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's one that uh, I found by way of Sean Hartman, but I don't know, Sean, if you have any recollection of how that would have happened it was i think a record store day a few years ago uh, i was just you were thumbing through the bin and it was one that i think you'd priced up you pulled out you're like you know anything about this guy this album looks really interesting and it was dennis lindy i went home looked him up found out that he you know was this big time songwriter in nashville one of his big songs was burning love for elvis he recorded his own version of it as well. He was kind of reclusive too. He wasn't. He 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 didn't really seek fame. He just liked writing songs. Interesting. And did yeah, and did session work as well in Nashville. I don't remember that. So thank you for reminding me. <laughs> thank you for introducing me to Dennis Lindy. Just doing my job here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, we might eventually do an album of his sooner or later. Yeah, and he had a long career. He was. He wrote hits for Garth Brooks and the Dixie Chicks. So writing like one of Elvis's early hits and then writing like uh, he wrote that Earl song for the Dixie Chicks. You're talking like a 50 year span there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Totally just kind of in, in kind of by his own wishes, just an unknown person behind the scenes. Yeah. And then the there are two drummers on this album, uh, Doolin Lancaster and Jimmy Isbell. They both seemed, uh, you know, like they were working, but, you know, they weren't working with Elvis and dudes like that. So I don't know where they came from, but they laid down some good drums. It's good stuff. Then Hargis Robbins on the keys and piano. Another big time nashville heavy hitter sometimes called pig, pig. robbins <laughs> yeah 
He did stuff with Dolly and Loretta Lynn as well, Neil Young. He's doing stuff with Sturgill Simpson nowadays still. So he's another interesting. Been working with country, you know, royalty for 40, 50 years now. I listened to a little bit of his uh, solo stuff too, and everything I heard was really, really interesting. And that's definitely a name I'm going to be looking out for in the future. Oh, it's in. I didn't look up any of his solo stuff, so I'm intrigued. Yeah, he's got some instrumental, piano driven, like very reverb heavy country stuff. It's fucking awesome. I'm way into it. Rad. And finally, Laverna Moore is the last performer on this record. Another Nashville stunner. She worked with Merle Haggard, Roy Orbison, Reba McIntyre. Mickey Newberry, maybe that's where the root between John Hambrick and Bill Callahan is. Mickey Newberry. You guys mm. listen to him? I no. have not. He makes some great tunes. I don't think his records are dollar bin, though. I think he's kind of a cult cult classic kind of guy. Yeah, but that's the thing about country music is it's it's so much easier to find expensive records in the dollar bin than it is for most other genres. Yeah, yeah. I mean that the Dennis Lindy record that you uh, introduced me to him through. I think you, it was selling for five bucks. You go online, it's like ten, fifteen. But you're gonna find that thing because no one knows what it is. You're gonna find it for yeah a few bucks probably out in the wild. Yeah, it seems like most record stores I go into, if it's not Willie Nelson or Waylon Jennings or Johnny Cash, like everything is just cheap in the country section usually. Very true, and there's a lot of great old stuff in there so much which uh you're gonna give us a sweet list of after we play this song Mm-hmm. but for now we're yeah we're gonna dig into share it till tomorrow side a track four around us green as the trees and yellow streams running across the floor next to you I'd hear your thoughts breathing and read them by the love light of your eyes when shadows dim their glow I'd watch you sleeping what I knew would help me through the night And the blue skies we'd make as we touched and we felt And we knew who we were We'd eat and we'd drink from each other's plate and cup And we'd share nor need to call out to think about the things we'd like to be most of that is scribbled on some paper and used 
Once again, I'm just shocked hearing that rich singing voice right there that this guy, this was not his main occupation. Yeah, you know, you hear some records where it's a one-off thing from an artist and it sometimes it kind of makes sense. Like, it's good, but it's too challenging for what was happening. But with this record, it's like, this could have been a hit. It's weird why it's not. But, you know, cool that we get to discover this bona fide amazing record that is totally off everyone else's radar i'm gonna say up front that i am sort of blanking on a lot of the other people but i feel like there's this weird trend where a lot of people actors or other people in the public eye who make a one-off album so much of the time it's country music for whatever reason that seems to be the the one-off albums for people not where music isn't their main occupation it's so often country i think i want to say uh michael parks the actor he i don't he might have put out more than one album but i think he did a country album uh yeah he did and that name came up when i was looking around i feel like one of the session players on here is on a record of his oh yeah it looks like he'd put out several oh yeah jimmy isbell the drummer that Oh, Jeremy okay. tried. Jeremy was trying to claim that Jimmy Isbell had no roster, which is an insult to this great country music drummer who has an insane roster of records he's on, including Michael Parks Blue and albums <laughs> by Charlie McCoy, Jerry Reed, Pozo Seco, Gordon Lightfoot, lots of Jerry Reed records, Henson Cargill, Doc Watson, Lester Flats. He's all over the place. I'm an idiot, okay? I admit it. <laughs> No, I mean, I hadn't even heard of this guy before you said anything, so it's like, it's not like I'm over here just sitting on this wealth of knowledge. I just know how to Google things. I actually, I'm looking at my notes right now, and I actually have uh, Gordon Lightfoot, Charlie McCoy, Merle Haggard written next to his name, but I didn't see it because I wrote both the drummers next to each other. (laughs) Aha, uh-huh. we are peeling back the curtain for our listeners here. <laughs> yeah. It's not all off the top of our dome. We have notes. <laughs> yeah, we're just idiots that know how to look up things on Discogs and Wikipedia and YouTube, guys. Anybody could do this. <laughs> yeah, I always just read straight from the Wikipedia article <laughs> cold while we're doing the episode. Listen, this is how I organize my thoughts, okay? <laughs> Inside the brain of Jeremy No Ruggles. shame. We're, we're right there with I'm you. I'm a professional, and clearly my organizing of my thoughts is not good. I've done my research. Now you do yours. <laughs> wow. Hey, you guys want to hear about the, the little bit of research I did for this episode in the form of a recommended artist playlist on Spotify? Yeah. Yeah, please. All right. Well, we're going to kick it off with the greatest drummer of all time, Jimmy Isbell. 
and his infamous drumming on an album by Henson Cargill doing a cover of Jeremy's favorite artist, John Denver, Take Me Home, Country Roads. Wow. Ooh. Legend. I think that song was even referenced on the first song of this John Hambrick record. That is true. Hell yeah. And then when you listen to the playlist, you can also find such amazing country musicians as Johnny Cash, and then some kind of crossover-ish guys like Jonathan Edwards, J.D. Souther, Michael Murphy, plus some classic straight-up country musicians like Johnny Paycheck, Ray Price, Chet Atkins. And I tried to include other songs from the side players on here. There is a Hargus Robbins instrumental solo track on here called In the Midnight Hours that I really like. Terry Knight in the Pack, who we mentioned. Jesse Winchester's on here. Um, nice. Some more rock-based stuff like Graham Nash. And then Tammy Wynette and George Jones, Buck Owens, Charlie Pride. I gotta say, this playlist was super fun for me to put together. Country music is one of those genres where I I too easily forget how much I like it. And then every once in a while, I'll just like put on a country record or hear something and be like, holy shit, I gotta just dive into country more. There's so much good music out there that I just don't even know about yet and it's almost always cheap so if you're in a similar boat to that and you want to explore country music then this is the playlist for you you can find it on spotify just search i'd buy that podcast all one word to find the john hambrick inspired playlist and all other season two inspired playlists and we'll give a quick shout out to our patreon supporters we had another $20 vinyl subscription tier subscriber today as of the recording of this episode. Thank you, Andrew. There are still a few slots left at the $20 tier. That is a limited tier. So if you'd like to check that out, as well as the other tiers that we have to offer, go over to patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. If you'd like to help us out here. All right. What else we got for John Hambrick? I just wanted to mention one last thing he worked on. He was an, after this album, like I said, he went back to being a news anchor. From reading about it, it sounds like caring about his community was very important to him. And then I found information on he worked on a documentary for PBS. Him and his son, Jack made a documentary, and this would have been while he was in Miami. He finished out his career there as a news reporter. But anyways, they made a documentary called The Florida Highwaymen, and it is about a collective of 26 African-American landscape artists in Florida who would make landscape paintings and just sell them door to door and on the side of the highway and they would use construction materials and really uncommon uh, methods and materials to make you know landscape paintings one of the most common types of paintings but they I was looking at images of some of the creations and like the vibrancy I don't know. It was wild. It was very cool. So I'm deep in watching the new Adam Curtis documentary, so I didn't get to this documentary yet, but that's next on my my uh, viewing list here. 
Nice. So it's a, there's a multimedia experience with John Hambrick. Yeah, this and this doc, I mean, I can't vouch for it yet because I haven't seen it, but it sounds very cool. So uh, I'll vouch for it on a later podcast probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Keep the fans updated. But yeah, that's, uh, that's about all I have on Mr. John Hambrick. He passed away in 2013 to cancer. So he's no longer with us, but he's left us with one great album and probably a great documentary. I'm taking note. I'm just, just looking up his IMDb. He did he had some acting roles, too. That's true. Nothing that's jumping out at me. Not on my radar. Yeah, from what I read, it seemed like he mostly did kind of smaller acting roles here and there in addition to the, you know, his uh, normal gig as a reporter. Yeah, he was in an episode of Friday Night Lights in 2006. But a few things. Really under the radar person, Jeremy, that you're bringing above the radar, onto the radar. <laughs> True. Well, what, uh, any final thoughts here? Are we going to get out of here? He was, I just had this thought when you mentioned bringing him out under the radar. And in reality, John Hambrick was seen by millions of people because he was a news reporter in New York and LA and Miami and these huge places. But if you think about it, he's much like the records we cover here, hiding in plain sight. Oh, I see what you did there. Excellent. Seems like the perfect closing thought to me. I got nothing better than that. Wow. Peter sets him up. I knock him down. <laughs> That's how we do here. Number one co-host. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another fantastic episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Peter Cook. Number one co-host. I'm Sean Hartman. <laughs> and I'm Jeremy Ruggles. What track are we going out on? Oh, good point. Uh, I figured we'd end it with uh, Courage, Dignity, and Grace, which captures how John Hambrick tried to live his life. Beautiful. Side B, track four. From her fear and pain I came Weak and thoughtless of my But she loved me all the same And she told him of her hope That she'd teach me how to cope With the sunshine and the Dignity and grace They are not so commonplace In the lives of most I've known But she tried to give to me Goodly portions of all three Through her love and will